All right. Good morning, Dorisville. I appreciate you being here. It is kind of proof today that Baptists don't like rain. Um, but this was an abundance. I'm sure I saw cars at Barnes Lumber and there was a run on Gopher Wood. I thought I saw a bunch of cars down there. I don't know. Go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 15. We're in the last message of a series that we've entitled Divine Design, D.A. Vine Design. And we thought about the entire last five weeks about God's design based on the Bible. And we kind of based it on, we jumped off with John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me... You can do nothing. We've talked about several topics throughout the week. I want to end up today just talking about life in general and particularly marriage in general. Today's a special day for me on two accounts. First off, we're very glad to have Sarah and her husband Blake home with us. And uh, they'll be living down with us now. Well, they actually live in an apartment. And uh, she's out of the Air Force. We'll be in the reserves. And so we're very glad to have them. Would you make them feel welcome today? Would you do that? And with Sarah comes my grandson, who's still in the oven, okay? But when God sees fit to bring him out of the oven, he's going to be named Taylor. So we're excited about that. And then today, Judy and I are celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary. 35 years ago, she said yes. Yeah. Glad she did. And she said she would do it again. Isn't that incredible? She's a little slow learner. She's a slow learner. But I am so grateful that she has chosen me and I have chosen her. And today we want to talk about, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm going, okay, we need to end this thing. You know, I know we've had some heavy preaching, so I said, we need something a little bit lighter note, you know. So I was going to, the sermon title originally was very romantic. It said, uh, Divine for a Lifetime. Wasn't that romantic, you know? And I said, no, we need something a little lighter than that. So I changed it to Divine Fruitcake. You know, I thought that would be really cool. Now you say, well, Dwayne, what else? Well, first off, we were arguing about, you know, we are thinking about what to put on the marquee. And so we're talking about, you know, what, what, what should we put on there? And so I came up with, okay, go ahead and put, are you married to a fruitcake? Let's talk Sunday. You're blessed. Let's talk Sunday. And you say, well, Dwayne, what is your take on this? Well, we well, got to understand something. Fruitcake, now first off, how many of y'all like fruitcake? Oh, yeah, well, I do. I do. It, it's, a, it's defined in the dictionary as a very dense cake filled with nuts and fruit. Okay, so and modifying that definition a little bit, it's a solid cake, very dense cake with nuts and fruit. And if you're married to a divine fruit cake today, you are blessed because you see, the more people think we're a fruit cake in Jesus, the better. If the world doesn't consider you a little bit strange because you're in Jesus, that's not a good sign. We are, matter of fact, let me just see what the Bible says. This is, this is the New King James version of 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a bunch of fruitcakes, if you will, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but have obtained mercy. We are, when the world looks at us, they should look at us and go, man, they are just a really strange group of people. And so, hence, a solid person, a little bit nutty because the world looks at us that way, and filled with fruit. Filled with fruit. A life that is filled with fruit. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about 
divine fruitcake. And we're going to jump off in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. So take your Bibles there and turn there. There's a sermon sheet in the bulletin for you to use this morning. First John chapter, excuse me, John 15, verses 1 through 4. Now we start out with these words. Jesus speaking, this is the English Standard Version. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now Jesus is saying that he is the source of life. I'm convinced of something. Been a Christian now for 36 years, 57 years old. I believe that a person really does not start living until they meet Jesus Christ as Savior. Life truly begins when you come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, look with me, please. And we're going to divert just a couple of scriptures here real fast. Look with me, please, at John 10, uh, 7 through 10. John 10, 7 through 10. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, say most assuredly. Say, say absolutely. Absolutely. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So I'm referring to believers in him as a flock of sheep. I am the door of the fleet. All, say all, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. So everyone who professed a way to the Father before Jesus Christ are thieves and robbers. In that group are things like the teaching of good works, that there's a giant scale somewhere, okay? If you do good works and somehow that tilts in your favor, God says... Good job, you're in. That's thief and robbery. Religion would certainly be in. Religion's going to send more people to hell than anything else. Because religion is man's attempt to reach God. And man can't reach God. God had to reach down to man. So if you claim religion today, sometimes you'll people say, Well, I've got a dose of religion. Jesus says, Thieves and robbers, thieves and robbers, it's not going to work. Some of you even count your denominations, such as Baptists, or going to church as a way to heaven. And believe me, it's not. Church will not get you any closer to heaven than you are right now here today. Thieves and robbers. Jesus says, everyone who came before this are thieves and robbers. But the sheep doesn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. I love that picture. There's liberty there. There's freedom. Listen, a religion, religion will bind you up. Laws will bind you up. Rules will bind you up. But in Jesus, there's freedom. In and out. Not talking about in and out of the fold. In and out to find food and pasture with the Lord Jesus Christ. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. It all starts with a relationship. And if you're here today, guys, and if you've never experienced Jesus, you may say, Dwayne, I've gone to church all my life. Or, Dwayne, I tried this religion and it didn't work. And, Dwayne, I went to this church and there were a bunch of hypocrites. And, and Dwayne, the pastor, was the biggest duck in the puddle. Matt says, yes, you need Jesus. Jesus will never fail you. Jesus will never let you down. If you'll find the true door in the Son of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that we claim, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And that on yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. If you'll come in, you'll find that abundant life, the real source of living that you're looking for. Right now you're running to Walmart, you're running to Jim Hayes, and you're running here, a certain neighborhood in town, driving a certain car with a certain name brand and wearing clothes with a certain name, hoping to find that happiness. And you're not going to find it. It's emptiness. It's emptiness. 
True life begins with Jesus Christ. So he says, I am the vine. And then he says this. My father is the vine dresser. My father is the one who cares for the vine. He cares for the vine and he cares for the branches that grow off the vine. Again, let me just read the scripture to you because it's pretty cool. John 14, verses 8 through 10. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. It's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe, now listen carefully, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you do not speak of my own authority. Jesus himself says, I do not speak of my own authority But the Father who dwells in me does these works. The vine dresser dresser actually worked with the vine. The things that Jesus did, he did through the authority and the power of his own Father. And it doesn't stop at the vine. It includes us, the branches. See, a vine dresser has one goal for the vine and for the branches. And that is that they may produce fruit. The whole purpose of the vine dresser is to make sure that the vine produces food. He doesn't really care how leafy and green they are. He doesn't care how happy the vine is. He simply wants this. The vine dresser produces fruit. So if you had a vineyard, the vine dresser would go through and do whatever necessary that the branches might produce fruit. And that involves some pretty dramatic measures. In fact... Jesus says these words. Every branch in me. Does that include pastors? If Jesus is divine and we are branches off of him, does that include pastors? Yeah, every branch. Includes the deacons and Sunday school teachers. In fact, it claims every person who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you are part of the vine, listen to this. Every branch that does not bear fruit... He takes away. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I laugh sometimes with the commentaries that I read because I'm a pretty simplistic person. And all they, they try to say, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Takes away. And they try to do it because everyone believes here. I'm a lot of those people believe here. You can't lose your salvation. So surely these people must be people who went to church or they're religious or they did this. But they never really had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we can't come to grips with the fact we lose our salvation because we can't. If you've got the real deal, you can't lose it. So what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, notice something. Every branch in me. Wait a minute. If the branches in the vine is in Jesus, they have to be saved. Amen? If any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are, passed, are, are made new. In Christ? And in fact, look, wait, look at verse, thir- verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Whatever he's saying does not deal with relationship. Because he's saying to these people, You're clean. It goes back to when he was washing the feet of, uh, of the disciples and he came to Peter. And Peter said, shall you wash my feet? 
You'll never wash my feet. Peter, Peter, he says, listen, a person who's already bathed doesn't need to get rebathed. He just needs to have his feet washed. Jesus said, when you sin, you don't have to be resaved. You just got some repentance and confession to do. So whatever he is saying here is not about relationship. It's about fruit bearing. So every branch in me, he takes away. What's he talking about? This is one of those times I just go, well, duh. When I read this, I went, duh. Bruce Wilkinson wrote this really great book called The Vine. And I followed up and made sure he did his research. I won't impress you with the Greek word because I probably couldn't say it anyway. But the word take away translates lift up. Lift up. It's not the fourth definition of the word. It's not the sixth definition of the word. It's not even the second definition of the word. It is the first definition of the word. And nowhere, say nowhere. Nowhere in the entire Bible does this word mean to cut off. It means to lift up. When, when Jesus fed the 4,000, the 5,000, and they took up 12 baskets full, that word take up is that same word that's used here in John chapter 15. It doesn't mean to cut off. It means to lift up. Why does that mean? Well, Dr. Wilson was talking to a vine grower one day, a vine dresser. He says, the tendency sometimes of a branch is to grow down. And they get down into, next to the dirt and to the mud. And in that situation, they can't get the sunlight they need. And the branches and the leaves on the branch get dirty and covered with mud. They subsist, but they don't produce fruit. And so Dr. Wilson said, so what do you do? Do you cut it off? And he goes, oh, no, no. He said, the branch is much too valuable for that. We, we gently, he said, we get down and we get a rag, a, a sponge, and we begin wiping off the leaves. And then we take the branch and tie it up higher on the trellis where it can receive the light and get out of the mud and the clay and get the light that it needs, and the branch begins to prosper. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about when he says, take away that somehow you can, A, if you were saved, lose your salvation and whack you off. No, he's saying, I love you enough. The vine dresser cares enough and wants you to be protected enough where he will do whatever necessary to get you to a fruit-bearing stage. Because the one thing the vine dresser wants is for the vine to produce fruit. Period. He's more interested in fruit-bearing than your happiness or even your well-being. He wants you to produce fruit. Now, some of y'all are going, whoa, shoot that thing. I am so glad of that because, you know, the thought of me like going to hell and losing my salvation, that's always really bothered me. Or the fact that maybe I had a false profession, that really bothered me. Well, way before you go up and down going, yay, 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 what does the Word of God say about when God has to lift us up and tie us on the trellis? Something we don't hear preached about a whole lot is this thing called biblical chastening of God. That's one of those topics that doesn't sell well in the big stadiums or in the local church. Take your Bibles, please, and look back to Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Here's what the Word of God says. And you have forgotten the exhortation or the encouragement which speaks to you as sons, as children of God. That's what it says. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So when God sees us in our lives and we're down here in the mud and the mire of living an ungodly life and we're not producing fruit, he picks us up. But often in that picking up process, it requires his discipline and chastening in our lives. Sometimes it's just a rebuke. Sometimes it's more severe. It's a chastening. And, and even the word of God says sometimes it's a scourging. But it's never done in anger. It's done to restore, just like our brother spoke about last week in parenting. I bet some of you really pushed back with what he said. <gasps> Spank my child. Let me tell you something. My dad spanked me, and it may have warped me a little bit because look like I am, but I came out okay. Spanking is biblical. But, 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 when you spank your child in anger, I think you said it was child abuse, and it is. I'm telling you, when a parent loves a child and tries the timeout thing or tries the chair thing or whatever, and the child is still not responding, particularly if it involves his danger, you better get the spanking pole out and spank their bottom. If you love your children, you will. And I want to tell you something. God loves us more than we can ever love our children. He says, I will lift you out so you can bear fruit. So you can bear fruit. Now, we're going to touch on this tonight. If you... If you're bored out of your brain tonight, it's still raining or whatever, come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to take a look at the life of David and see the process that God took him through. We don't have time to cover this area big. But know this, Jesus is not talking about whacking you off the vine and you losing your salvation. But he's talking about God working in your life, doing whatever necessary to bring you to a state of fruitfulness. Because that's what God, the vine dresser, wants. And then he says this. If the vine, the branch, that does bear fruit, he prunes it that may bear more fruit. Why? Because the vine dresser wants the vine to produce fruit. So if you're not producing fruit, he'll bring in rebukes and chastenings and scourgings to help you respond and bear fruit. And if you're already bearing fruit because he loves you, he'll prune you. Well, Dwayne, what's that? Well, how's that different from discipline? God will stretch you. I've got a feeling my brother, worship leader today, got stretched. His basement leaked again. About the fifth time. He's leaving tonight after church for camp. And I'm sure that stretched him some. Okay, God, why did you allow the water to come in? I mean, you know, you're a big God. Couldn't you, like, put your finger in the hole in the basement so it wouldn't leak? I got a feeling if you ask Dave after this is over, he's going to say, you know what? I learned a little bit. Did you hear his heart in the songs he sang today about trusting God? Great is, he chose these songs before his basement leaked. Great is thy faithfulness. Come on, are you with me? Blessed be the name of the Lord. When the sun is shining, things are all as they should be. Why does God allow difficult things to come in our lives? He's stretching us. He's 
pruning us that we can bear not only fruit, but more fruit. And then like we heard in John chapter 15, verse number 5, he, even, he, even when we abide in Him, we bear much fruit. So now, now hear me, Western Christian. In our culture, we get saved to miss hell. And then, if we need God, we'll let Him know. But we expect God to be our butler boy. God says, no. You're a part of the vine, and I'm the vine dresser. And my purpose for you remain on this earth is that you may bear fruit, bear more fruit, and bear much fruit. And whatever it takes for that to happen, that's what your loving Heavenly Father introduces and allows and sometimes causes in your life. Now watch this. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. Bask in me. Be intimate with me. Linger with me a while. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit. Say, cannot bear fruit. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says the only way you can be a fruitful believer in Jesus Christ is if you abide in Him and let God have His way in your life. That should explain a little bit what's going on in your lives. I wish I had a magic mirror and I could look right now and help you determine what it is that God's doing in your life. Because sometimes difficult times come, and it's not chastening, it's pruning. But I wonder sometimes, why do we live our lives and we're so unhappy as believers? And I wonder sometimes if God is chasing us and almost causing a thirst from lack of drinking the living water. I think it's something worth looking at. Now, if you're content today with your Christian walk, that's cool. But frankly, can I just be honest with you now? I'm wrestling. I want more. And God, something's going on. I just can't put my finger on it. And I find myself praying frequently, God, frequently, frequently, God, if there's something in my life, would you let me know? Because God, I want all that you have for me. I want the abundance of life. I just don't want to get by. Okay. So that leads us then to divine cornucopia. A cornucopia means abundance. So you have to ask yourself, so what fruit is he talking about? Without me, you can't bear any fruit. What fruit is he talking about? And the first thing we would say is this, oh, he's talking about soul women. That's just not the context of John 15. I mean, you should be a soul winning believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that certainly is a kind of fruit. But what is he talking about? I think it has to do with the DNA of the vine. That, that the, the branch that is reflecting the DNA of the vine is the branch that's fruitful. And for that, I think you've got to go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul gives us this incredible list of nine things. And when we are being pruned by the Father, letting God have His way in our lives, and, and when we are abiding in Christ, a natural occurrence is fruit-bearing. 
When we allow God to, the vine dresser, to work with us, and we are abiding, drawing our DNA from Jesus, a natural occurrence is fruit bearing. If I'm right on this, and that's really what Jesus has in mind, is His DNA being lived out in our lives, how would that infect your marriage? As we look at these nine fruit, if these nine fruit were lived out in our lives, how would it impact our marriage, Mike? If these nine fruit were lived out, how would it impact our parenting? How would it affect our outlook for our careers? How would it look like and impact the way we treat people? Well, let's look and see. Galatians chapter 5 and 22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, the DNA of the Holy Spirit, is, verse 3, love, joy, peace. So if we are being pruned by God so we can bear more fruit, or He's lifting us up and chasing us, that we can get bearing fruit, what kind of love is this? It's the one Greek word, a lot of us know, it's agape. It's a dying, sacrificial love. It's the love that took Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the cross as He stretched out His arms and laid down His life for us. Husbands, dads, how would that impact your relationship with your wife and children when you demonstrate that kind of love? Hey, mom, wife, how would that impact your relationship with your husband and with your children when that's lived out? Love. Joy. Joy is an inner peace in spite of circumstances. I'm sure Dave's not going, Yippee! My face there leaked again! If you've recently gone through surgery, I'll go, Man, can I do it again, Doc? Too much fun. No. But there's an inner rejoicing in just knowing that your Father's in control. That everything we go through is indeed Father-filtered. That Satan's not out there with a sniper gun popping you off and popping you off and popping you off at free will. That our Father, our omnipotent Father, is in charge and in control. Love, joy, peace, an inner quietness. The world around you is just raging. And there's this inner quietness. It just doesn't seem to face you. You're aware of the storm, but there's this quietness in your soul. Perhaps like Horatio Spafford said when he wrote the song, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. After losing his children, his first son already died. His house and everything he owned was lost. He had the peace that passes understanding. Love, joy, peace. And those fruit emerge naturally from the person A, after he's been chastened and responds, or B, if he's already living that out and starts producing that more as God the Father prunes him. Because these things only occur in pruning. These things only occur when we abide in Christ. They can be mimicked, 
and imitated when things are going well. Have you noticed how incredibly easy it is to smile when things are going good? You know, seven people get saved in service. Everybody shouting amen. Amen. I could use an amen right now. I'll be glad when we're done this family series so we can say amen again. Easy to smile then. Everybody likes you. And, oh, preach that honey sermon again. Well, we like that stuff. But, but, but what about when it's not that way? It's peace. They come abiding and allowing God to work in our lives. And then Paul says, i got three things for you that's going to help you in your relationships. He says this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Do you all have anybody in your life that irritates you? Do you have anybody in your life that just gets under your nerves? Well, occasionally pastors may actually run into somebody like that at another church. And doggone it, if the commentary I was reading said, what Paul's really got in relationships is having patience with the person who irritates you the most. Long-suffering. The ability to suffer long with someone. To have patience with someone who does not deserve your patience. Like your husband. Like your wife. Like your children. Particularly your 16-year-old teenage son or daughter. It requires a little long-suffering. Brent, would you like to come up with testimonies about working with youth? I mean, once again, it's not your children. It's the ones who visit from other churches. Long-suffering. Kindness. Acting with charity, with love, towards someone who may not deserve that. Well, now that would impact your marriage. How would that impact your relationships? Kindness. Goodness. I bet you hear what goodness means, don't you? Doing good. Doing good. So Paul says, you've got this love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness thing going on because you're bearing fruit, because you're abiding in Christ. And one thing the vine dresser wants you to do is to bear this fruit in your life. So he pruned you and he, he chastened you and he groomed you to bring about this fruit in your life because the only thing the vine dresser cares about is not your prosperity. He cares about your holiness and making big of God in the kingdom. That's what he cares about. I know the preacher said, get saved your life will be perfect. He lied. Your life won't be perfect. And Jack, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. The time perfection occurs sometime after the last heartbeat. But right here, we've got the vine. Right here, we're rooted in the vine. Right here, God's working with us, and God's pruning us, and we're abiding. And if we do that, we start sprouting fruit, like love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And then he gives us three more. 
He says, and these deal with character issues. Faithfulness. Trustworthiness. Oh, listen. Once the trust factor is broken in your marriage, you are in deep weeds. And kids, you need to know something. When you sit there and you break mom and dad's trust, you are in deep weeds. The most honored thing, the most honored thing you can give your mom and dad or your husband and wife as a gift is their trust that they can believe in you and trust you. And Satan knows that and wants it broken. And man, when trust is broken, it is hard to restore. It takes a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Humility. Humility. Thinking of others rather than yourself. Think about others rather than yourself. Self. Control. The last one. Self-control. Disciplining of the flesh. They say that in this list, the first and the last item are there for emphasis. In other words, the two big ones are love and self-control. And when you love someone, you'll exercise self-control in that relationship. Self-control. I think that's the fruit. I think we all be soul winners, but I really think the fruit that the vine dresser says, I'm going to prune you and make you to be a fruit bearer, this is it. And when your husband, and when your wife, and when your children, and when your neighbor, and your city, and your county, and your state, and your nation sees this kind of love oozing out of believers in Jesus Christ, we will change not only a community, we'll change a state, and we can change a nation. But we will not change them with our religion. We'll change them with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, it's cool. If I understand it right, Paul isn't saying and Jesus isn't saying, you've got to manufacture this stuff. I think I can love him. I, if I just try hard enough, I can love him. Son, you can't. Listen, you can't. But when you're abiding in Christ and you're allowing God to work out, as this DNA begins to flow through you, it will ooze out of you. As a natural occurrence, you will bear fruit. And then you got one more thing. Let me give you some divine counsel, some divine advice. Here's what he says. Now, those who belong to Christ, those who are in the vine, those who are branches in the vine, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying, now, now, if you're part of the vine, then you need to understand you are crucified with Christ. But, David, it's a choice. Did you hear what the man said earlier? It's a choice to trust God. It's a choice to crucify the flesh again and again and again. The flesh, even though it's crucified, will rear its ugly head and say, you want to do this. You want to break trust. You don't want to love. You don't want to be kind. You don't want to be good. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. And Paul says, crucify it. And the more you believe that, the more you'll live it. The more you'll believe that it is a choice that you make every day, the things that you crucify, the more you will live that out. Paul says, I'd be crucified 
Choose to do some crucifying in your life. Then he says this. Since we live by the Spirit, verse 25, we must also follow the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. We must let the Spirit lead. You know, I'm not much of a dancer. I probably have danced ten times in my life. Once in Africa, and you saw that on the video, it, went, it looked something like this. And I'm sure I wasn't following the lead very well on that because I had no clue what I was doing. I was just moving my body. But I do understand about dancing is that someone has to lead and someone has to follow. I found a poem on the Internet, and so much of the stuff I get on the Internet just doesn't ring my bell. But this spoke about guidance. An interpretation of that word guidance. Let me read it to you and watch the screen right there. You'll see what, as it follows it. When I meditated on the word guidance, I kept seeing dance at the end of the word. Go ahead and put that back up, Nance. I remember reading that God's will is a lot like dancing. When two people try to lead, nothing feels right. The movement doesn't flow with the music. And everything is quite uncomfortable and jerky. But when one person realizes that and lets the other lead, both bodies begin to flow with the music. One gives gentle cues, perhaps a nudge to the back, or by pressing lightly in one direction or another. It's as if two become one body, moving gracefully. The dance takes surrender, willingness, and attentiveness from one person. And gentle guidance and skill from the other. My eyes drew back to the word guidance. When I saw the G, I thought of God. Followed by you and I. God, you and I dance. God, you and I dance. And that's following the Holy Spirit. It's as if you and God are embraced one the other. And allowing Him to lead you as you dance through life. When we follow that lead, life is smooth, not jerky. The dance is beautiful. But when we, as a branch, resist the movement of God, the abiding of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ becomes jerky, becomes nonproductive, and it's anything but beautiful. How are you dancing with God? How are you letting the Holy Spirit lead? Are you saying, God, it's my way, and you find yourself pulling Him around on the dance floor and Him resisting? Or have you surrendered? It's okay, God. It's your call. If my basement's going to leak, if if something's going to come up in my life, whatever it is, God, I trust you And I'll follow your lead. That can be real hard. This girl we talked about, Miranda, just last Saturday, through a quirky legal system, 
the father of her child shows up and says, I'm taking the child and head back in the lawn. And she watched as her two-year-old child was put in this guy's car and driven back to Ohio. And if you're a mother, imagine because the court said so. Because the court sided with the dad. They take your two-year-old child away from you. Can you get that feeling? Then imagine five days later, your 27-year-old fiancé dies. That's the life of Miranda Hart today. And when we sang that song, you give and take away, I was thinking of her. And she's trying so hard, and I say, God, whatever it is, I'll follow you. I'll dance with you. I don't know how the story's going to end. But my prayer for her no matter how it works out with a two-year-old and her broken heart over her fiancé dying, that in a month or two or three or four, we see her still dancing with the Holy Spirit. Guys, I'm going to say something, I'm going to say something. My heart passion for Dwayne Taylor is to dance with God. I'm not doing very well. I don't know what God's doing in my life right now. I don't know. There's so often that I feel so distant from Him. Some of you probably said, well, you're awful sharp these days. It's because I'm not dancing well right now. And I can't tell you why. So my passion is to dance with God. But I want to tell you something. This pastor ain't lost his heart. I want you to dance with Him. I want you to dance with Him. I want you to just move through the dance floor of life as you move through marriage and with parenting and with your career. And dance with them. That's my passion for you. Because in the years of my pastorate, I've seen what happens when you don't. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Since we live by the Spirit, we should also follow the Spirit. And he ends with something that's almost, it seems like he could stop right there and say, end the sermon. But then he gives us one more verse. It's almost like, like a warning, an admonition to us. And he says this. He says, we must not. Say, we must not. Do, do you sense the thrust of it? We must not become conceited. A conceited person thinks only of themselves. I'm number one. It doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in parenting. It doesn't work in life. It doesn't work in careers. At least for the believers, it doesn't. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, pot-stirring one another, stirring the pot with one another, envying, being jealous one It's like a final warning. He says, be careful of these things. It can't be about you. It's got to be about Him and them. And there's going to come some times in your life when you're just going to have to overlook. You've got the opportunity to stir the pot. And you're simply saying, I refuse to stir the pot. I just refuse. And there's times when I, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish I had that marriage or that family. And you're going to say, no, like Paul. I've learned, whatever state I am, to be content. Today, 
If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, He's standing before you. His arm is outreached. He says, Would you like to dance with me? And it begins with a relationship. The Bible says that every person has sinned and comes toward the glory of God, that there is no one righteous. No, not one. You've got absolutely nothing to bring to the dance floor but you. You cannot say my good works, my religion, my church, I'm a good person. None of that is allowed on the dance floor. All you can do is say, Jesus, I accept your invitation and you've done it all. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. And today He invites you into relationship with Him. Not to church, not to religion, not to a different or better life, but to relationship with Him. He holds His hand and says, Would you like to dance? And today, Brother Brent, we stand down front. And wouldn't it be cool if you walked up and said, Brent, Jesus invited me to dance. I want to dance with Him. And we got some friends who'll take the Word of God and show you exactly what that means. I've kind of explained it, but in case you have any other questions, exactly what that means. And perhaps today you're already in the arms of Jesus. How's the dance going? Is it smooth? Is it flowing? Or do you find yourself resisting the lead of the Holy Spirit? May I suggest today that you just surrender. And enjoy the dance. Enjoy. Heavenly Father, this is my heart cry today. Father, I long for this dance in my life. I do. Father, just to waltz across the floor with you in sweet, sweet surrender. And Father, my prayer for our congregation today. Father, I said sometimes we just resist your word because it's so hard. And I know it is. But God, I know the reward of obedience. I know that. So God, all I can do is cry out for your help today. For me personally and for our church family. The ones listening even on the radio today. Help us to waltz with you. Help us to dance with you today. And for my friend here today who's never, never accepted the invitation to come onto the dance floor at all. Maybe they've been hurt or wounded by a pastor or by a church. I don't know. But Father, would they say yes and receive your invitation to dance? And Jesus, I just want to pray this in your precious name.